And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, the Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate, and it's the Agview pitch. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Agview Pitch, and we are here today with Paul Neifer. Paul, how's it going? I'm doing great, actually. I'm in almost sunny Arizona, where it's 72 degrees, so it's well, uh, actually feeling pretty good. Well, nice. At least uh, somebody's where it's warm and almost sunny or whatever. So, yeah, I guess the reason we wanted to get a hold of you today and have a little conversation is we're getting some co uh, questions from clients on this uh, next ag package and I was just kind of asking you offline what do we call this um, aid package and what what is it uh, going to be and so I guess uh, we're calling it aid package number three uh, with the coronavirus issues and everything that that have been impacting the the U.S. So with that said I guess what's really of interest to a lot of our listeners is kind of figuring out what does this mean for agriculture and I guess what I'd like to do is start out maybe with the PPP. Uh, we had a lot mm -hmm. of operations that applied for that and, and utilized that program the first time around. And now that we're going to um, look at some eligibility opportunities for this, this next round of PPP, um, kind of have you go into that and give us kind of a perspective of, of what that looks like going into this, this next round. Okay. Uh, well, first, let's, let's mention, I think we've mentioned it once before, but maybe not, the one nice feature about the new aid bill, whatever we want to call it, to, it's part of the Consolidation Appropriation Act, and there's a bunch of acts underneath it, so I just call it the CAA. But uh, what, what really was nice about that is they came out with the ability for farmers or all taxpayers to deduct all the expenses related to the PPP loan forgiveness. So... You know, originally the IRS came out and said, yes, that forgiveness is going to be non-taxable, but you weren't going to be able to deduct all those expenses. Well, Congress got their act together and said, no, our intent was we're going to allow you to double dip. We're going to allow it to be tax-free on the income side, and we're going to allow you to deduct the expenses. And then the IRS actually two days ago, I think it was two days ago, came out with a revenue ruling, a very short one saying, okay, we give up you know, those expenses are deductible. So that's, that's the first part. Uh, next part on the first PPP loan. So a farmer, this is more on the self-employed farmer, the Schedule F farmer. When they originally got that first round of PPP loans up through about June, um, many of them, well, they were limited on their earnings, not for their employees, but on their earnings. It was based on line 34 of Schedule F, which is net income from farming. And a lot of those farmers either had a loss or they showed income less than $100,000. So in that case, they weren't eligible to get a maximum loan based on their earnings of 20833 Well, this law puts a provision in, says it allows the farmer to go back, go back to the original lender, show them their Schedule F, and as long as line nine, which is gross income, now that's after reduction for cost of sales for like, livestock, a stocker program, and so on. So it, it's not gross receipt. It's gross income off of line nine. If that number is greater than $100,000 and they have no employees, then they automatically will get bumped up to the 20833 
Now, where we still don't know for sure is it indicates that if the farmer had a loan that was based on that old smaller number, they can go back and get a bigger loan. What I don't know yet for sure is what happens if the farmer never got a loan. You know, it, it talks mm-hmm. about allowing a farmer that had a loan, a PPP loan, to go back and get an increase. I just don't know if a farmer didn't have a loan because they showed a loss, had no employees, didn't file for a PPP loan the first time. Can they go back and get an original, um, you know, original one based on that uh, $100,000 of gross income? So, so that's that's good news. We have a lot of Schedule F farmers out there, easily have over $100,000 of gross receipts, and likely show a loss in Schedule F because all their income is over on 47.97 from trading in their farm equipment. So, so that's that that's good news for a lot of those farmers. Okay, um, as far as an operation, and we'll come back. I may have some more questions on that, but I want to also address the producers that have a payroll that went through that process. And maybe it's it's connected to the question of what you just described too, but as far as going through this process, again, what are some of the nuts and bolts of working through this? Well, you know, and, and we did get some clarity, but, you know, the problem with the SBA clarity is they still don't understand farmers. Because the IFR that was issued yesterday, they finally addressed how do you calculate, how do you do the loan for a farmer? Problem is they're referring to Form 941, which is for non-farmers. You know, a farmer uses Form 943. They also reference Medicare wages, which I understood why they did that for Form 941. But the problem with that is a lot of our farmers make uh, wage payments in the form of commodity wages. That is not a Medicare wage. So if the farmer originally got a loan based on commodity wages, they may end up having to pay that portion of the loan back to the SBA when they finally do their loan forgiveness. So uh, we're in the process of trying to reach out to some of the farm organizations to see if they can reach out to SBA and get that IFR updated. But essentially what farmers do when they have employees is they take their total payroll. Now they're allowed to use either 2019 or 2020 now um, as far as calculating the amount that they're allowed. So it's the greater of 2019 or 2020. They add in that payroll. If they have anybody that earns more than $100,000, they have to cap it at $100,000. Also, it looks like they are not allowed to include H-2A wages. Uh, I think that's pretty clear now. But let's say that ends up being $100,000. And then you add in the SUDA tax, so the state unemployment tax. You add in any health insurance that you pay for that employee, plus any retirement plan payments that you made for that employee. You add all those numbers together. You divide by 12, multiply by two and a half, and that's the amount of the loan that you can get. Now, in the first round, it was limited to $10 million. Hardly any farmer is ever going to qualify up to up to $10 million. So, you know, it's going to be pretty straightforward. Also, they made it easier if your loan under the first go-around or the second go-around, which we'll talk about here in a second, is $150,000 or less. You really don't need to provide any documentation to the bank to get loan forgiveness. You still have to calculate it, so on. Uh, but all you do is you simply, you simply tell them how many employees did you have when you applied? How many employees do you have now? And and then you just sign off that you did it, that you spent all the funds. So if 
a producer applied the first time around and they apply the second time around is essentially sounds like it's almost identical to the first one. Yes, it's going to be calculated the same day, the same way, but you are allowed to use 2019 or 2020 payroll. So whichever number gives you the higher amount, to me, that's what you would use. So let's say you expanded your operation in 2020, you hired an extra person, potentially you're going to be allowed to get a higher higher loan amount. But we still have to go through, you know, what's required in order to get, uh, you know, a second loan. So uh, we can cover that now unless you have a couple other questions on the first round before we go into the second round. Yeah, the forgiveness is going to be about 100, going to, I mean, last time they looked at 150,000, if it was under that 150,000 or under, they really just kind of wrote it off pretty simply. Well, what they, no, what they did is they, they put it at 50,000. Now Congress, uh, SBA put it at 50, but Congress formally said, no, no, we're going to jump it up to 150,000. Okay. So, so, so that's uh, what it is right now or will be. Okay. Go ahead with the other comments you had. Okay, so if a farmer had a first loan or qualified for first loan, they could qualify for a second loan, and there's one requirement in order to get a second round of PPP uh, loans, and again, it'd be approximately either the same amount or a little bit bigger. Uh, They have to show that during 2020, any quarter, and it's going to be based on calendar quarters, not based on your fiscal quarters, it's going to be based on calendar quarters, so if you had a quarter in 2020, first quarter, second, third, or fourth, any one quarter, where your revenues versus the previous, the same quarter in 2019 was at least 25% lower, it has to be more than 25% lower, then you qualify for an additional loan. Now, technically, you still have to certify on that application that you really needed the funds because you know we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, farmers or other businesses that maybe had a lousy second quarter because that's, you know, when the pandemic really hit, but the rest of the year, they had a great year. So they, they have to ethically be willing to sign off on that loan application that yes, I needed the fund. So that's, that's, that's sort of the rub. Now, certainly if it's under $150,000 loan, probably not a big deal because they're not even going to look at it, but that is something that really farmers need to be aware of. You are certifying under penalties of perjury that you really needed the funds. And, you know, with CFAP 1, CFAP 2, CFAP 3, you know, and the pricing where it's at right now, you know, that's, that's an issue that farmers might have to deal with. Interesting. So with, with that said, um, you know, and as we are getting out and around and, and just getting, I don't know, we're probably a third of the way in working with clients, starting to look at how the year end worked out for 2020 and starting to map out 2021, it's not super hard to find farm operations that really had a pretty rough year just because of primarily the ones we're finding that had a pretty rough year. It was primarily due to yield, um, not, not being where it needed to be. And then obviously marketing for some people that maybe had uh, a higher percentage of stuff sold, especially the people with lower yields, they had, Yep. You know, sales yep. at a lower level, and then on top of it, you compound a, uh, you know, a lower crop yield or whatever, and so there's not anything yep. left to take advantage of these higher prices. They didn't have anything to sell at these higher prices, and so, yep. Yep. so there's kind of the haves and the have-nots there. So what you're saying is, 
is would they look at an operation that actually had a profitable year, but yet still deems it necessary that they receive those funds? Is that ethical or unethical, and how is that determined? <laughs> yeah, I, nobody really knows. <laughs> I mean, you know, they don't give you any guidance on that. They just say, hey, do you need the funds? Now, in the situations you're talking about, yes, I would say they probably need the funds. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're bidding over backwards to help what I call the smaller uh, producer out there. Uh, now, by smaller, it could still be a two to five million, ten million dollar uh, operation. But really, you know, that that farmer that the loan's going to be less than one hundred fifty thousand dollars. They really want the money to go to them. Uh, I think the larger farmers, uh, you know, that that have a lot a strong base and and had a very good year. You know, those are the ones that probably really have to worry about it more than the smaller ones. Now, the good news is the loan forgiveness. So if they applied for loan forgiveness and got it, that is not included as part of gross income. But all the CFAP payments will be part of gross income. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's so the So they'll offset. be taxed on that CFAP. That, yeah, so, so yeah and it, that's part of that calculation. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything else on the PPP that, you know, um, I, I think – you suggest that people talk to their lender again and kind of work through both maybe the the decision of whether or not, you know, this loan is applicable for their individual farm and kind of have that conversation with the banker or who, or, you know, yeah, what do yeah. you suggest? I, I would, yeah, I would have them start talking to the banker fairly quickly. They're opening up the program on January 11th, so Monday. So it will be open this Monday. Now, the first couple of days, it, it's, more for minorities and um, smaller community banks. So your bank may not be able to process anything until like Wednesday or Thursday of next week. But uh, I would certainly talk to your lender right away. If you know for sure you uh, either qualify for an increase on the first loan or you know you qualify for the second loan, there is no reason to wait because I I don't think, uh, you know, it's supposed to expire by March 31st, but I don't think it's going to last that long. You think it'll be out of funds before <sighs> that time comes? Yeah, I potentially. Now, it's limited to um, businesses with only <laughs> 300 employees, so that's going to remove that old 500, and it was actually greater than 500, and the maximum loan is $2 million instead of $10 million. So I think, it, plus you had to have at least a 25% reduction in one quarter, uh, so that's going to eliminate quite a few businesses and they've eliminated some other businesses out there too. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that answers the, the questions and, and for, for now. And, 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 and I will be doing a, a bigger post of a blog post on what we were talking about that first uh, go around that'll come out. I'll, I'll have it posted Sunday night. Uh, people that subscribe to the blog, They'll get it in their inbox uh, Monday morning. Give, so, that. And, Give that again where they find that. Yep. So that's at farmcpatoday.com. That's all one word. So farmcpatoday.com. Uh, or if they wanted to, I've already posted it on AgWeb. So if they went to AgWeb, uh, they could see the post right now. Okay. Of course, by the time they hear this, they, they probably have already seen it. So mm-hmm. Right. So, all right, the next thing I want to get to is we've kind of hit the PPP and if you think something else there let me know but I wanted to roll into CFAP uh, number three I guess you could call it you know after one and two um, one 
seemed like there was a lot of extra money there, so they kind of changed how that was done. Looks like CFAP 3 is going to be pretty cut and dried, $20 an acre payment. Any comments on that or uh, concerns or watchouts or information? Yeah, I, I think I, I think we're hearing some rumors out there that uh, with pricing being up, that uh, that payment's not going to be made. Uh, the issue is this is right in the law. This is not something the USDA is going to come up with. This is right in the law that was passed and signed by President Trump on December 27th. So therefore, unless Congress gets their act together, and that's not going to happen in the next couple of months and changes the law, this is the law. So, you know, all farmers, based on corn acres, bean acres, wheat acres, rice acres, whatever it might be that qualifies, is going to get that $20 per acre payment. So CFAP too, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't that just automatically applied and, and just was paid out or do we have to do any kind of sign up for CFAP three? I think, um, no, I think you still have to sign up. Even CFAP two, you have to sign up. Right. So, uh, there, there'll be a sign up, but, uh, the sign up's going to be pretty straightforward. You sign it and then they calculate it and it's done. Uh, they have based on, if you sign up for CFAP two, they have all the records they need. You know, it's not going to change. Right. It's going to be based on planted acres. And you had to provide that information really on CFAP uh, number two anyway. What's the, do you know anything on the timing yet and when that's going to be eligible? For I'm guessing early February. Yeah. Maybe late January, but probably early February. Okay. All Remember right. we have a little bit of a transition going on, you know, Purdue's going to be going out, Bill Sachs coming in. You got all the now a lot of those administrators that really are dealing with it are still going to be there, so maybe it won't be that difficult. Mm -hmm. But we do have a little bit of a transition, so I might take a little extra time. Okay. Anything else in this aid package that's applicable to producers listening to this um, with regard to anything else that's in the package that? Yeah, actually, I think there's something even more beneficial than PPP, potentially even more than CFAP, maybe not, but. Uh, that's the uh, ability for a farmer to take advantage of what's called the employee retention credit. And what that says is if in the first quarter, I'm, I'm, there's a potential some farmers might qualify for it in 2020, but I'm really talking about 2021. We can plan for this accordingly. Uh, if they're interested on the 2020 details, I did a blog post earlier this week or late last week on it. So go to the blog, you know, go to the blog for that. But if a farmer in the first quarter or the second quarter of 2021 has gross receipts, not gross income, but gross receipts, that is more than 20% lower than the exact same quarter in 2019, so not 2020, but going clear back to 2019, then they qualify for this employee retention credit. And what happens in that situation is all the wages they pay for all the employees during that quarter will qualify for a 70% credit as long as they don't pay any one employee more than $10,000. So let's say they have four employees, they pay them each $10,000, that's $40,000 times 70%. It's not divide by 12 and multiply by two and a half, it's times by 70%. That credit is refundable so even if they don't have enough payroll taxes, because that's sort of how you report it uh, or pay it, so to speak, uh, you reduce your payroll taxes. If you 
have more of a credit than the payroll taxes, you can get a refund from Uncle Sam and you can apply for that refund right away. You don't have to wait until you file your 943 next January. So for a lot of our farmers, it's fairly easy to time when they run a recognized income. So let's say that they've sold their grain right now to the elevator, to Cargill, whoever it might be. They can enter in a deferred payment contract on some of those sales and defer getting that until July 2nd, so to speak, or July 1st. So by optimizing and keeping their revenues under that 79.99% from 2019, all the wages that they pay to their employees, other uh, unless it's over 10,000 for that quarter, which for most farm operations, I would say 10,000 for a lot of employees is about what's gonna be earned in a quarter, that's 40,000 a year. Uh, you know, they're going to qualify. Now, the wages that don't qualify, commodity wages don't qualify, and wages paid to related parties don't qualify. So if you own a business and you pay yourself a wage, that's not going to qualify. Um, so there's some related parties. Now, the interesting thing is a Schedule F farmer that employs their spouse, technically that qualifies. So so this could be a pretty big credit. I mean, it could be $14,000 per employee for the first two quarters. You know, if you have four or five employees, that's fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. And you don't have to deal with the bank. Uh, you do all the work. Well, we can help you with the work, but you know, this is something you do on your own. So you don't have to worry about going through a bank. It's immediate, well, it's fairly immediate. You reduce your payroll taxes. If you have more, then you just file what we call a Form 7200 to get that extra amount. So the you recommend talking to your CPA on that as far as getting that? Yeah, definitely talk to your CPA. Most CPAs really are not up to speed on this yet. Uh, You know, we've been posting on the blog, even the last year where you said, we're pretty sure this is coming. Be aware that it's coming and and plan accordingly. We were thinking it might be retroactive to 2021. I mean, in 2020, excuse Mm -hmm. me. But in order to get the ERC for those for 2020, you had to have a reduction of at least 50% in revenues for any quarter compared to 19. That's a little tougher for most farmers, not all farmers. Uh, so that's, that's something. And again, our blog posts uh, go through those details. Is that for all employees or is it, what about like the H2A employees and stuff there? Is that, are they? Uh, it would not be H2A because it's got to be subject to, to FICA or Medicare tax. Okay. H2A workers are not subject to that. So it's going to be, any employee that you pay cash that you take out FICA and Medicare. Okay. All right. Anything? So a lot of dairies might not get full benefit because right. of all their H2A workers, but the other non-H2A workers, they would get the benefit from. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as far as that program, though, is that a program that runs either or with PPP or how's that? Uh, good point. So, under the original CARES Act, you could not get the ERC if you got a PPP loan. Well, the the new bill says, no, we're going to allow you to get a PPP loan and the ERC, I, I, I initial employee retention credit, ERC, but you can't use the same wages for both. So whatever wages you use for loan forgiveness, you can't use for the ERC and vice versa. And, you know, all along, probably even a couple times that you had me on last year, I was saying, don't get in a hurry to ask for loan forgiveness. And this is one of the reasons why, 
because if you put all these wages down, those aren't going to qualify for the ERC. So uh, it's probably more important for 2021 if you get another PPP loan. Uh, the timing on that and the type of wages that you report uh, is going to be uh, important to make sure you review that with your CPA or tax advisor. So you could take the PPP, pay that back, and then apply for this, or is that getting in the weeds a little too far? <laughs> That's probably getting in the weeds. You, you don't, this isn't a special program. This is just something that you document and then file with the IRS. You don't, gotcha. it's not a special program, uh, but you need to be careful because if you report too many wages on your PPP loan forgiveness, those wages then are technically not allowed for the ERC. Right. You really only want to report 60% of the wages that you need. If you got the other expenses, there's just enough wages on the forgiveness, and then that gives you excess. Or we're really getting into the weeds. If you got a higher income earner, somebody that's earning, let's say, $100,000 per year, you can report those wages to get loan forgiveness above and beyond the 10000 per quarter. That doesn't hurt you, and you get the full amount for the ERC. So there's a lot of, like you say, getting into the weeds, we CPAs, really dig that stuff but you as farmers probably are not really that <laughs> well, interested in digging into that's those. That's why we hire you guys to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and the nice thing for me, I guess, if you want to say it, that is my advice that I've been giving all along, you know, waiting for loan forgiveness, some of this other advice all came true. So I was pretty happy about that. Yeah. Well, that's good. And as far as, you know, on this, this whole bill, is there anything else? So we've kind of covered, you know, the, the various ways to handle the payroll side of things with PPP and this, and the ERC, as you call it, um, CFAP, anything else that is correlated to producers that we need to be aware of? I, I, no, there's, there's minor stuff out there that, uh, really is, it, like I say, is very minor. They've expanded the amount of charitable contributions you can write up above the line instead of being 300 for married couples now $600, uh, there's some other stuff, but it's really not really focused too much on the farm producer. Uh, certainly other industries gotten some extra focus, even on PPP. Restaurants and hotels can get an extra amount. They get three and a half months of payroll instead of two and a half months. But on the producer side, I, I think we really covered the, what I call the big, the big ticket items, the big three. Okay. Well, I think this was very informative. Really appreciate um all of your the studying you do because understanding the the bill when half the legislators that write the bill don't read it apparently and 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 so when <laughs> when you, yeah, you can I, help, I when you can help us uh, understand this and and kind of figure out how to navigate through some of the some of these uh, opportunities and and ways to deal with some of the challenges that a lot of uh, operations have had to deal with this year we really appreciate that so in, well, that's in, what I enjoy digging into the weeds, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, if anybody, again, one last time, if anybody needs to get a hold of you or has a specific question, what's the best way to reach you? You know, again, uh, the, the blog, farmctatoday.com is a good resource. If they haven't signed up for it, certainly do. It's free. Uh, you know, my email is paul.nefer, so N-E-I-F-F as in Frank, E-R, at C-L-A, connect. Dot com. That's all one word, claconnect.com. Or they can call me, you know, either my cell phone, 509-961-9739, or my direct line, 509-823-2920. So I'm, I'm pretty, as you know, 
I'm pretty easy to get yeah. a hold of. Yeah, and we, and we really appreciate that. I know a lot of the clients we work with really ap- appreciate your uh, willingness to help us, and and with you actually being a farmer yourself now, um, you know you can kind of yeah. you can actually kind of understand what it, what we're going through and appreciate that. I'm actually in shock. I think I might make some money on the 2021 crop. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't go into farming thinking I was going to make that much money, but uh, with soybeans where they're at, I have a chance to make some money. Yeah, that's right. Now, now the next thing is, is you got to be smart enough to sell them though too, right? So well, I think I'm 50% sold. I think, yep. uh, I, yep. I think that's about where I'm at. So yep. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yep. So. Yeah. I might not, I might know something about that, but I think, <laughs> I think, I think having some things priced in here right now is probably smart. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and you know, that report coming out on Tuesday, the 12th, uh, it could be bullish, but, you know, a lot of times when we go in expecting bullish news, either it's not bullish or even though it is bullish, everybody priced it in and then we get a drop. Yeah. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind having even a little bit more sold uh, maybe on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens here. That's for sure. It's uh, this rally <laughs> we got. I don't think anybody saw it coming. So it's no, no. I mean, we're what? Almost 14 bucks on old crop and almost 12 bucks on new crop. Yeah. At least on futures. It's crazy so, from where we were. Yeah. So yeah. All and right. five bucks on corn. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep, that's for sure. Hey, well, uh, thanks a lot, Paul. Really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully everybody got a lot out of this if you if you had other questions like we said here just better go make sure you get a hold of paul and and uh, thanks a lot paul again appreciate it no problem thanks chris yeah you bet thank you and thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you again next time on the ag view pitch 